Galatians 4, verse 8. Formally, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by nature are not God. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world who slaves you once want more to be? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness. For I testify that if it is possible, you would have gorged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good Uh, to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Father God, we uh, receive this word from Pastor Paul through your spirit. God, guiding us and leading us in the truth that you want to bring to our hearts. I pray as your children, we were reading that you are awakening something inside of us. You're directing us to your truth for your glory. And so would you be glorified as we learn and we grow today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, everybody said, amen. Uh, It is so awesome to be here. I always love coming and teaching here. I really, and it's so cool to see this church continue to grow and grow. Um, it, it just brings me so much joy. I, I've been in ministry now for 25 years. I've been a pastor for 25 years. Uh, the very first church I was at was called Emmanuel Baptist Church, and it was in Gurney, Illinois. And uh, it was a Swedish, probably a Swedish Baptist church, a couple hundred years old, that kind of transformed into this Baptist church. And the senior pastor there, his name was Dr. Joe Borman. So I came in as the junior high youth pastor part-time and then eventually went full-time. And so I was teaching a lot for junior high, and eventually some Somebody had said, hey, maybe Jeff should have an opportunity to teach in the main service. So the senior pastor came to me and he said, hey, I'd love to, Dr. Joe Borman said, I'd love to give you an opportunity to teach on Sunday. And I was like, what? You know, the church is like a thousand people. I was like, whoa, this is like a big deal. So uh, I taught, it went really well. I think to some extent, I let that get to my head. So the second time uh, he said, I think you should teach again. Like somehow I got my reps and I did a good job the first time. So he gave me another shot. So I, I think I got a little lackadaisical. And so I was preparing a sermon on John the Baptist. John the Baptist is like my favorite prophet. So I was really excited to teach it. And I got up in front of the church and I, within the first 30 seconds, I mean, the first 10 words out of my mouth was something so inappropriate. It was so, it was like as a part of my greeting. And if you'd like to know about it, I'll tell you after the service. Uh, But it was, and it was like, you ever said something and the words were coming out and you were like, no, 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 where'd that come from? Oh, no, no, that was in my subconscious somewhere. Get back, right? So that's what happened. And and the, the thing is like, no one laughed. No one gasped. It was just complete silence. 
And so the whole time I'm like, this is, this is bad. No one listened to me for that entire sermon. The whole time I'm teaching, I'm like, I'm fired, I'm fired. Isn't God good, right? I'm thinking in my head, they're going to fire me. So I get in the car, we drive home, and my wife's like, I think they're gonna fire you. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're gonna fire me, right? And so then you're like, okay, I'm 24. I got a, you know, a kid, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, what, what do we do? And I'm trying to figure it out. So I get an email, uh, hey, from Dr. Joe Borman, uh, meet me in my office, 8.30 a.m. on Monday. Awesome, right? So I go into his office and I've got, I'm like the prodigal son. I've already got the preloaded, like I, I've sinned against heaven and against the earth. I'm not worthy to be at this church, you know. And so I sit down and he goes, looks at me and goes, well, that was pretty stupid. And I was like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. That was very stupid. That was very stupid. And I was waiting for him to go. And that's why we're going to have to let you go. But he, instead he did this. He said, yeah, I've done some stupid stuff too. And he spent the next 30 minutes telling me some of the stupid stuff he's done as a pastor, some of the stupid things he said. And it was so merciful. And he said to me, don't ever forget the responsibility of standing in front of a bunch of people and teaching God's word. Because nobody heard what the Lord wanted them for them that day because you distracted them. And I think that's what Paul's been doing all throughout the book of Galatians. He's come to them. He shared with them the good news. They've received the good news. And now they're returning back, going back to these things that have enslaved them, this false gospel. And he's like, don't do that. But his hope in helping them understand through this letter is that they would then grasp back onto the good news and move forward. The good news is at stake, not only in their own lives, but as a gospel presentation to the culture that God had called them to do. And 2,000 years later, this same thing is true. Paul is still preaching to us. He's still pastoring us. Do you know that? He's not just some author, some apostle that went. He's a pastor and he's pastoring these people. He's still pastoring us 2,000 years later with like, have we not come to understand what the gospel is all about and what it means? But we keep settling for these pseudo things instead of really coming and finding our hope and joy in Christ and moving forward with that. And so the candor of this letter, the candor of this letter is like forensic. Like how many of you are parents, right? Raise your hand if you're a parent, right? When your kids are doing something stupid, or going so, awry some way, you become very forensic in the way you help them understand what they're doing. Because you're trying to go, no, understand, this way of thinking is not going to work. It's gonna ruin you. It's gonna ruin you. It's gonna ruin our family. It's gonna ruin the community. It's gonna ruin relationships. And you become very forensic in trying to help them pull back the onion of lie that they have latched their hearts onto. This is what Paul's doing. Paul's doing this to this church and he's doing it to us right now because he wants us to see the glory of God through his son, Jesus, his death and his resurrection. And that's why in 2.20, the kind of the centerpiece of Galatians, he goes, listen, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. 
And in this life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. It's all about him. And he gave himself for me. I didn't do anything to do it. I didn't do anything to receive this. This is what he's done for me. And I want you to have this in the same way I've experienced that. I want you to see it and feel it the way I do. And I'm so concerned that you are settling for a false gospel that will continue to enslave you instead of living into the good news that will liberate you into the love of the Father. You can hear his tone all throughout the the whole thing. And Tim taught us last week that you have been adopted. If you have not listened to Tim's sermon from last week, you need to. I got saved again this week, right? And I don't think you can do that, but I did. It was so good. He preached the gospel last week. It was so good. And he said, you're adopted. And that resonated with me. You know why? Because we adopted our little girl when she was four years old. And she was in a system that was kind of like protecting her, right? Like it was trying to protect her and just be like kind of caring for her for a period of time. This is what the law did. It's like kind of protecting you for a period of time. But then we stood before the judge and he hit the gavel and he said, Mika, you're a goki. And we all went, ah, right? And then they pulled us over into this room and they handed us a birth certificate, a new birth certificate. And it had our names on it, Patty and me. And it had Mika's name on it. You're a goki now. This system was set up to help you for a period of time, but it wasn't family. It was a pseudo kind of family. It was here to kind of protect you. This is what the law did. This is what Paul's trying to say. It was set up to help you for, but it was never family. Mika is family. She's a goki. This is what Jesus did when he died and he rose from the grave. This is the good news of Jesus. It's not because of anything that Mika did or even what the system did. It's the fact that she's now a goki as a result of people standing in the place and adopting. This is what Jesus did. He took that place so that we could become sons and daughters of the most high God. And so Paul is going to keep pulling us back and reminding us, do you know who Jesus is? Do you know what Jesus has done for you? Do you know? Do you feel it? Do you know who you are as a result of what Jesus did? How it changed everything because these people have continued to slide away. And here's the thing, church, we're still there. Sliding back into old ways that we believe so deeply are going to change something instead of just receiving this free gift that he has given to us, which I think is this. I think the crutch of all of our problems, of all of our problems is that we are constantly looking for pseudo saviors instead of accepting, fully accepting Christ's salvation in our life as enough, as enough constantly looking for pseudo saviors. And this is why in verses 12 through 20, Paul is just changing his tone. His tone becomes like my little children. You know, that's the only time Paul has ever said that in any of his writings to any church. My little children. 
they're breaking his heart. It's breaking, he's watching them make horrific decisions, going back into circumcision, going back into 613 laws, a complex sacrificial system. Stop, my little children. Why are you now against me? Can't you see I'm for you? Can't you see I'm trying to help you? Look how you received me. You see, received me so kindly. And I can't help but preach the truth to you. I have to because I'm a loving pastoral father to you. But then he says this, I love this. He goes, I'm like perplexed. He's like, my tone, I wish I was here because my tone's like, probably strong to you as you're reading this letter and it is i'm like encouraging you and i'm challenging you and if you have children you know what that's like you're trying to find the balance between those things like i can't just let you get away with this because then i'm enabling you into sin but i also don't want to crush you right because then you'll be like mom and dad never you know like how do i do that so he's like i'm trying to encourage I'm trying to challenge. I'm like wearing the weight of this. I wish I was in person so you could see. You see, you can see my face. You can hear my words. You can see, like, I wish you could see how much I care. But he's like, at the end of the day, like, I'm just perplexed. How many of you who have kids have just been perplexed by some of the decisions your children have made? Perplexed. When my son Cooper was six years old, his job was to pick up dog poop. Okay, that was his job. How many of you, that was your job? It's okay. Yeah, your job. So his job was to do that. And Patty and I had trained him very well how to do that. Okay, here's a bag. And you put this bag over your hand. That's really important. And then you're gonna take this and you're gonna put it in here and then you go throw it away in the trash can. That's how you do it. One day I hear my wife screaming at the top of her lungs. Ah, I come downstairs and our dude is outside barehanding this stuff and throwing it in a bag. And then she literally goes, stop it, Cooper, because now he's picking it up and throwing it against the wall. Perplexed. Who taught? You can't be one of us. You can't be one of us. We're crazy. We're not poop on the wall crazy, right? Like we're not that crazy, right? Perplexed. I never taught you that. I never showed you to do, I showed you very specifically what to do. And he went, this looks cool, <sighs> right? And just having the time of his life, perplexed. This is Paul going, I'm so perplexed. I've been, I came to you, I preached the word of God to you. I told you truth and what, what? It's just robbing your life. Listen, when you take on legalism, as life, it will crush you. Some of you are here this morning because of a legalistic urge that says, if I miss Sunday, then God will be angry with me. How's that working for you? Some of you have steeped in just like what's happening here and Paul's like, stop. Some of you have really made some significant horrible decisions in your life and you have been trying to make up for them your whole life and it's crushing your soul. Paul's like, stop. That was paid on the cross of Jesus Christ. His grace is sufficient. His mercies are new every morning. And this is where the church goes, great is your faithfulness. But for you to continue to live, it's just crushing you. It's not liberating you. You're not finding hope in him 
And what is happening with this church is that they're settling for legalism instead of the liberation that he wants to give to them for, through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That it's not by anything that they have done. It is a free gift from God and that we are to have faith in that movement. So Paul is coming to them going, stop living this way. In verses nine, uh, 9b, he says this, how can you turn back again to the weak? and the worthless elementary principles of this world whose slaves you want to be once more. Why would you do that? And what he's doing here, and you can do this all throughout the book of Galatians, is you can take the Exodus narrative and you can put it right up. All of Paul's language is Exodus language because Israel was captured and lived in Egyptian captivity. He, God calls Moses to go set my free people free. Let my people go, he says in front of Pharaoh. And then you know the story. It's through the propitiation of the lamb above the doorframe. Finally, the people of God are set free. Pharaoh lets them go and then pursues after them. God splits the Red Sea in half, crushes the army of Israel. He lets Israel to move forward to the promised land. His spirit is with them. He has a cloud by day, a sun by night. He is feeding them. He is giving them water. And what happens when stuff doesn't go right for the Israelites? What do they want? Want to go back. I want to go back to Egypt. Think about yourself. Think about how this is true for you, how we are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the one. You know why we love that song? Because you feel that, don't you? You feel that deeply in your souls. I know I do. Prone to, le prone to legalism, prone to Jesus plus something else. I want something like it's gotta be like Israel is constantly wanting to go back to Egypt when he's heading them to the promised land. And Paul's like, can't you see you're doing that? Can't you see that this is the way in which you are living your life as you try to run after this legalism? Warren Worsby, he's a, he's a commentator. He says this, that one of the tragedies of legalism is that it gives the appearance of spiritual maturity the appearance of spiritual maturity, when in reality, it leads the, be, the believer back into a second childhood of the Christian experience. It's so true. I know this so well. The law can do a few things. The law, legalism, what it can do for you. Like I can open up my Bible and this Bible, it can convict me. It can convict me. But you know what it can't do? It can't save me. It was never meant to do that. The law can tell me and convict me of a sin, but it can't save me. It can't forgive me of that sin. That's where Jesus stepped in. Jesus is the forgiveness of all sins, past, present, and future. So Paul's like, why are you living here? This is only crushing you and keeping you in slavery. Egypt is running in our bloodstream. Stop. He shed that blood on the cross to liberate you so you could be free, so that you could be free. You have taken the wrong advice. Now, I, for the 25 years, have gotten to do a lot of relationship counseling. And inevitably, somebody will come in to me 
who is making a foolish relationship decision, and I'll say, where did you get that counsel? Who told you that piece of advice? And they'll say, oh, my friend Savannah. And I'll go, oh, tell me about your friend Savannah. And they'll go, oh, my friend Savannah, she's my best friend ever. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Okay, tell me about Savannah. Is Savannah in a committed relationship or is Savannah married? No, she's not. Then that's just stupid advice. Why would you go to a single friend and ask advice about marriage? Why? So by the way, don't ask your single friends about marriage advice. Go talk to somebody who's married. Like it's just, you know, common knowledge. But that's what, well, but she's so great and she's so wonderful and she reads magazines. What? Go talk to a marriage person. They'll be like, okay, here's the real deal. Okay, because I've been through it. We struggled through it. Like that's gonna be good advice. Good, because they've been through it. They've experienced it. Paul is like, why are you getting bad advice? from these people who want to use it to control you and keep you captive. Why are you going back to Egypt when he has set you free? Why are you doing that? It's crushing you. But there is something deep inside of us, isn't there? There's something deep inside of us that runs from the free grace of, that God wants to give us. Right? We wanna, we wanna earn it, don't we? Doesn't it feel so good to earn it? to do the good deeds, to check a box. It feels good. Because we can stand before God and go, yeah, 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 you did some really cool stuff, but I went to Moody Bible Institute. And he's like, I love you. <laughs> like, why are you trying to, you have nothing to prove to me. Jeff, you have nothing to prove to me and no one to impress. Receive my free grace that came at a great crossed. And this is as old as the Garden of Eden. And it just keeps living, that narrative just keeps living out in our daily lives over and over. Oh, you can have me, all that I give to you, or you have a choice. And we keep choosing the lie that Satan keeps telling us that we have to earn something instead of trusting the Lord with all of our hearts, lean not into our own understanding, but in all of our ways, acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. This is why he's coming to them with a pastoral fatherly heart going, guys, please don't stop. It's crushing you. So then the question is like, what do we do? Well, Paul's like, I, I wanna tell you, I've been trying to tell you all along about being crucified with Christ and that how you never live and that Christ lives in you. Like he's been trying to pastor us through this whole thing to help us combat the lie that our culture wants to tell us. And what he says in verses eight is this formally, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now... Anytime you do that, you just go, okay, he's gonna share some truth. But now, what now? But now you have come to know God or rather to be known by God. So then he transitions, then why would you go do this craziness? Why would you go be enslaved? Why would you go live that way if that's truth? And it's almost like Paul, I, I love this. It's like Paul comes to them, he goes, listen, check this out. But now you have come to know God. And then he goes like, oh, wait a second or rather to be known by God. He catches himself. He's like, isn't that what we always do? Don't we always start with ourselves? It's all about us. Oh, see, I know God. 
See, look, we, we know God. And Paul's like, oh, wait, time out, time out. Wait a second. God knows us. Paul's like a flashback to how God came to him in the person of Jesus Christ, his resurrected body on the road to Damascus. Because you know what Paul was doing? Paul was murdering people. He was zealous for Yahweh. He just didn't know Jesus. Zealous for God to the point of murdering people. Zealous for the law. Zealous to the point of murdering people. And then the risen Messiah meets him on the road to Damascus and he is changed. Jesus came to him and met him in his sin and set him free. And Paul's like, wait, time out. It's not about me. He did this for me so that I could know him, but he came to me. I spoke at a, a I got asked to speak at a, a, a mental health conference last weekend. And I did this panel with three really smart and wise people. And one of the questions came up because they were doing like a texting thing. And the question was, how do I hold on to God when life is hard? How do I hold on to God when life is hard? And this older lady, the sage of a woman said, I like to she grabbed the microphone and she kind of took a breath and she said, it has nothing about us holding on to God. I have come to understand the biggest problem in my life is I haven't realized he's been holding on to me. I always thought it was about me and I couldn't see him. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. He is your high tower. He is your good shepherd. He is your living water. That's who he is. But we always start with ourselves. Oh, I gotta, I gotta do something. And Paul's like, time out. I know what that feels like. No, 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 he came to me. He met me. He knows me so that I can know him, really know him. Why would you go back to this, this earning this habitual thing that continues to drain your soul, why would you go back to that enslavement? When the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he knows you so that you can know him and have a relationship with him, not vice versa. This legalism that binds so many of us, we feel like we gotta prove our Christianity to God, and you don't. You don't. And it's crushing so many people. You know, so many people are leaving the faith because they've just had enough. You know why? Because they made their faith about what they do, not who they are in Christ. They flipped it. And they'll blame the church for that. See, you told me to do all these things. And you know what? We made some problems. We, we need to own our stuff. We did. Just read your Bible. Just pray every day. Just come to church and y'all better get some money because how are we going to get it? You know, like it's just, and you're like, okay, check. I did that one. Check out. Oh, small group. Okay, check on that one. Check on that one. Check on that one. Check. How are we doing? How are we doing? Because we did all those things trying to grab instead of going, you're here and you're near. The byproduct of all those things are like, I want to know more. I want to see you. But we flipped it. 
And Paul's going to this church going, don't do that. Listen, I'm coming to you. I'm just trying to, I'm with you. I'm a sojourner. I do not have this figured out. I promise you I don't, but I'm trying to learn and grow right alongside of you. We have got to stop this. It's crushing us. And it's not what we've been called to do. We've been called and liberated. Do you feel liberated? Do you feel free? Do you feel peace? Here's a, here's a question. When's the last time you felt peace that passes all understanding? Maybe that's one of the clear indications that have you received this grace? Or are you continuing to be enslaved? Because Here's what free looks like. Free pursues freedom, things that produce freedom. That's why in Galatians 5, he's gonna go like this. Hey, I got these fruit. Let me tell you what freedom looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. How you doing? How's that coming, right? Because that's freedom talk. That freedom talk is like, I got all fruit hanging off everywhere, right? I'm just jamming here, right? That's freedom talk he's trying to bring. You wanna try to figure out what's going on? Here's what the world looks like. Bondage, you're not doing enough. You're a failure. Keep trying to accomplish everything that you have in your heart so you feel healthy and whole. How's that working? On the other side, life and life to the full that's producing fruit and being a gospel presentation through the world by the way we love by our joy, our peace, our patience, our kindness. Our, isn't that what we need? Just breathe that in. This is what, why Paul is like, my little children, come on, I want you to get this. I want you to understand it. It's so important. And guess what free people do? They free people. Free people, free people. When you live in that freedom, guess what? You wanna invite other people into that. Your life is a gospel presentation. That's what it is. People are attracted to people of peace. Would you agree with that? Attracted to people of joy, aren't they? They're attracted to it. Man, what's, why, why are they so joyful? Because I've received the grace of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean my life's easy. It doesn't mean I have it all figured out, but it's about him and not about me. I've been striving all these years and it's just drowning me. In my doubt, I let that go. And I received the good news of Jesus Christ that I can't do anything to earn my salvation. <sighs> People are attracted to that. They wanna see that. Tell me about that. Free people, free people. I told you about my daughter, Mika. And when we first got her, her story is really tragic, hard, and it's her story to tell. When we first got her, um, you know, like a lot of kids in the system, they don't, they don't trust. They don't trust anybody. Everybody's made promises. They've been hurt and abandoned. And so when she came to us, my wife and I decided, okay, we knew this, but we we're just gonna be consistent. And so we would go into our bedroom at night, and this is before she was calling us mom and dad. We would come in and I'd say, hey, Mika, how much does dad love you? And she would say, this much. And I'd say, no, dad loves you this much. And I would try to make it silly. She was four years old. I was like this. And then she'd giggle and she'd like, no, this much. I was like, no, it's this much. Then I prayed with her. I did this for two years. Mika, how much does dad love you? This much. You know, that's not true. How much do I love you? Come on. And she would go this much. And I'd be like, no, I love you this much. And I'd stretch out real loud, right? So, you know, over and over. And honestly, it gets exhausting, just exhausting sharing that over and over. So finally one night, two years later, I go into a room and I go, Mika, and she goes, stop dad. And I said, what? She goes, I love you this much. 
much. And I went, <laughs> right? <laughs> this much. Oh, this sweet little girl caught in slavery. Finally feels loved. The consistency of the message of grace and mercy and love she receives as identity, and she's able to reciprocate. You know, we got a love problem because we haven't yet truly received it. So many of you, you're trying so hard to prove to God that you are acceptable to him. And he's just like, I love you this much. My son Jesus died on the cross because I love you this much. Receive my love. Receive my grace. Receive my mercy. This is bondage and death. Paul is like, I know what this feels like. In Philippians, he goes, let me give you my resume. I'm a super Jew. I did all the Jewy things, right? Like I, I did all that stuff. And he says in Philippians 3, and I would give it all away. It's all rubbish in light of knowing Jesus. Knowing that term in the Greek means consummation, union. I've been unified with Christ. I don't live anymore. Christ lives in me. See, what happens when we don't receive this and we keep trying to do is we never feel the union and we don't feel the union, we can never stop striving. He wants to bring rest for your souls. This is why Paul knows and why he's so diligent through this whole letters, stop living like orphans. Be set free. There's a new name on the birth certificate. I've liberated you. You are now a son and daughter of the most high God. Don't go back to Egypt. You're in the family of God. Receive that as truth this morning. Here's what I want to tell you is this. This one question that I've been working through. Where is your rescue rooted? Where is, your, is it rooted in what you've done or what's been done for you? Where's your rescue rooted? Is it in what you've done or what's been done for you? Because if you don't understand this, you will never truly be able to experience life and life to the full. And I'm telling you, as somebody who has been a good kid, went to Christian school, went to Bible college, been a pastor for 25 years, this pursuit of grace has been very difficult for me. In some ways, I feel like I'm supposed to teach this passage because I have to, again, constantly remind myself it's not because of anything I've done. It's a free gift from God. Some of you have the opposite problem. You can't let go of all the things that you've done to hurt yourself, to hurt other people, and you're in bondage that, and you've been trying to make up for it for a long time. Maybe that's why you're in church. Both of us are in bondage. And meanwhile, Jesus is like, I love you this much. To the prodigal son and to the older son, at the end of the day, we all have to go, Abba, Father, I wanna come home. And that's what he's inviting you into. I pray pray for you as you take these words from the word of God and you take them into your heart and your soul. 
and it really matters for you, but it makes a huge pack for the rest of the world out there that's looking for this love and this grace and this mercy of people who believe that what we say is truth <laughs> and it's impacted our lives and it's gonna impact our culture and our community. Amen? Let me pray. Father, I'm, I'm so grateful that, that I can stand here and preach this passage knowing that I fully don't have it figured out or even completely worked out. I desperately want to. And I think there's so many people in here just like me who are just trying so hard to work this out with fear and trembling. I pray today that we would receive, myself included, receive this peace that you want to give to us, this peace in the gospel that's not because of anything we've done, that you gave it to us, you've redeemed us, and that should we get, go continue on sinning, may it never be, may it never be, and may we produce the fruit that you've invited us to do, may it be the byproduct of a heart and a soul committed to following after and falling in love with you, Jesus. Thank you for this church. I'm just so thankful for this church. God, would they continue to be a city on a hill in Phoenix for the world to see, a community learning to grow and love one another as you have loved them. We give and we bless the church in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Amen.